Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. And so tonight we begin a new series, one that is very different from the uh, academic one that we had uh, last month, which was the Pauline Epistles. This particular series is different from any other series that we have done this year. It is most needed this year. I feel under God that once a year the Calvary Church needs to address the issue of mental health in the church. I feel that under God. So just know that once a year as the Lord gives us the right resource, we're going to bring this up. We're going to talk about it and study it and present it to the best of our ability as the Lord would direct us. Because here's the truth. The church has historically not done a very good job to help people in this way. We've been intimidated. We've been ignorant. And we've even failed to acknowledge that the issue exists among Christians, period. But we believe in healing in this church. And mental health issues have always been a part of the human condition. I think you don't have to look too carefully in Scripture to realize some of these people had some problems. (laughs) My man, King Saul, had all kinds of mental health issues, spiritual health issues. He was crazy, y'all. He didn't start out that way, but he ended up that way. I think of our dear friend, Brother Job. You can't tell me he didn't struggle with depression. That he he was on the brink of despair at one point in his life. And so many people in Scripture, the Bible does not hide from us that in the lives of believers, tragedy happened. Lazarus got sick and he died. Jairus' daughter died. People died in Scripture. People lost loved ones. People were separated from their families and experienced trauma in their lives. The Bible does not hide from us the fact that bad things happen to good people. People whose lives belong to the Lord, who have surrendered their lives to Him completely. God made us body, mind, and spirit. It is by his design that all of those things compose who we are. He cares about our well-being in all of these areas. Jesus' suffering and death did not just make physical healing possible for people. I think we sometimes we know that, but we limit him with our expectations of what he's willing to deal with in our lives what he's able to do to help people turn their hearts and their lives around. But we believe at the Calvary Church that Calvary, the cross that Jesus suffered and died on, made healing possible for us spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and any other human need that we might have. Jesus paid for our healing with his blood. The cross makes healing available to everyone. 
No matter what their condition is, no matter what their family history is, no matter how long they have struggled in this area of their lives. Because here's the truth. Christians are not exempted from mental illness, from mental turmoil and struggle and difficulty. We too can struggle with depression and disorders and trauma. We as Christians can struggle with addictions and any other human experience. And while this may not be your reality in particular, it does not mean that it isn't for someone that you go to church with. It doesn't mean that it does not really impact and hold back people in your life that you work with, people in your family that you care about. Just because... A believer struggles with their mental health doesn't mean that they are any less of a Christian than you are. And it doesn't mean that they got a bad dose of the Holy Spirit the day that they were filled. It means that they're human. Just because they struggle in that way and we struggle in other ways does not make them any different. For all have sinned. All have fallen short. Of the glory of God. Years ago, the United Pentecostal Church International was devastated by the tragic loss of a man who was a licensed minister who held an office at the headquarters in St. Louis, Missouri. He took his own life. And it rocked our fellowship. And I remember being a young minister at the time and really struggling with the idea that a man of God would take his life. And I thank God for elders in the church. At the time, it was a man by the name of T.F. Tenney. Anybody ever heard of him? He uh, wrote an article, and um, it was so helpful, I think, to many of us who struggled with that news. And this is what Brother Tenney said. He said, the mind can be sick like any other organ in your body. And that is the truth. We may treat it differently, but sometimes its function is debilitated. Sometimes our minds don't work right because of things that we've experienced or things we've been exposed to when we were children. And this may not be news to you, but for me at the time, it challenged the way I thought about mental health and the way that it in fact impacts people within the church. You see, I had never worked out my theology in this way. I did not know what I believed. And that's what happens to us sometimes. It takes a crisis for us to realize, I'm not sure what the Bible says. I'm not sure, as a Christian, what I believe about this situation. No one had ever taught me about mental health in the context of the church and its place in the life of a believer. Because it's been a taboo subject for Christians for far too long. Because the state of mind that we are in has the capacity to impact every area of our lives. It impacts who we are and how we interact with other people. I find it interesting that science has shown us in recent decades the impacts of stress and depression on the human body. 
It affects us physically. The life we have in our minds has the capacity to affect our physical man. And I believe that that is in direct alignment with what the Bible tells us. That God made us body, mind, and spirit. They are all interconnected with one another in his design. I hope you're watching the Chosen series with us this semester of life groups. As I was studying today, that first episode was so clear in my mind. And those of you who have watched know what I'm about to say. When Mary Magdalene meets Jesus. It is such a powerful moment in that series. Because the series bears out what that kind of life, what that kind of demonic activity would have done to a person. The way it impacted her socially. Those demons and their influence in her life isolated her from the world around her. It affected her mentally. And there are scenes that are very intense. They're very troubling. But it makes me think of the power and love of God that she experienced in that moment when Jesus told her in the series, you are mine. Every part of who Mary Magdalene was, none of it was beyond Jesus's reach and ability to heal her. And I don't know about you, when I watched that scene, I didn't just see that precious actress playing Mary Magdalene, but I saw myself. I saw people that I know and love that have come in and out of this church who have experienced God's touch in their lives. Maybe they weren't delivered from seven demons like Mary Magdalene was, but they were troubled in their lives. They were traumatized as children. They were addicted at some point as an adult. And Jesus touched their lives and changed the pattern of their lives forever. And so if you haven't watched it, you need to. Because it will remind you of God's love and power and its ability in the deepest, darkest parts of our lives. This is, I believe, the reason why we see Mary Magdalene as such a loyal disciple in the scripture. We see her in the Gospels at the foot of the cross with the other women when Jesus died. We see her at the tomb first to discover that Jesus had risen. She was the first to receive the news that Jesus had risen from the dead. I think that is just amazing. And the Bible speaks of the mind in over 90 verses. Isn't that interesting? In Romans chapter 7, verse 25, Paul writes, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. That specific word for mind in uh, that verse, Romans 7.25, is used over 20 times in the New Testament. And that word for mind refers to a particular mode of thinking and judging. Meaning your thoughts, your feelings, your purposes the desires that you have in your life. The Bible mentions them because God cares about that part of your life. The Lord wants us to be able to serve him with our minds. He wants wrong ways of thinking 
to be changed through the power of his word. He cares about our feelings. He cares about our desires. And it matters to the Lord Jesus when we struggle or someone we know struggles in this area of life. Mental struggles can affect your relationships, specifically with those who you are closest to. And why wouldn't God care about that? Why wouldn't God want to help you be a better disciple and help you disciple other people through the healing that you yourself have received in your life? It is foolish and unbiblical, I believe, to cast these needs aside in the life of a Christian and say, well, you just haven't prayed about it hard enough. You shouldn't struggle with that now that you have Jesus in your life. And if that's our mindset and approach with people, then we're as hopeless and as helpless as Job's stupid friends. Because that was their theology, was it not? The man is broken, devastated, and you talk about kicking a man while he is down. Their approach was, Job, what hidden sin is in your life? What have you done to deserve what God has allowed to happen to you? He went to them for comfort and for help, and they offered him condemnation. And that's what people receive sometimes when it comes to these issues in the church. And Job received more confusion at the hands of his friends. And so in the book that we are using for this series, Changes That Heal, by the fabulous Dr. Henry Cloud, that kind of mindset, according to him, towards those who are hurting tend to blame the person for his or her pain. It's horrible to think about it, but that's what we're saying. That's what Job's friends were saying. You're hurting, and it's your fault. You must have done something wrong, Job. You shouldn't struggle like this if you really love God. Thanks, guys. Way to be there. Way to help. And God forbid that people come into this house and get that impression or have that experience in a conversation. Because our job in discipling other people is to direct them to Jesus. We must be able to direct them to the word of God in a way that helps them understand, in a way that helps them correctly apply what it says. And here is the bottom line. Even if we don't have answers, we can carry their burden to God. That, the Bible says, is the law of Christ, that you bear one another's burdens. It is why we exist as a church. I am not in any way suggesting that the church is equipped to offer people clinical help, but what I am saying is that we believe there are times when a person needs such help, and sometimes it's outside of the church, and that is okay. I believe it because I've experienced healing through the help of a spirit-filled counselor. This person I trusted had the training, had the education to help me in a clinical setting 
do the hardest spiritual work that I have ever had to do in my life. And this is in part why I am so passionate to help make Calvary a safe place for people to find hope and help in this area. I believe because it is part of my testimony that God will bless any effort someone makes to get help. He will partner with him with partner with people to get them to the right people, people who have been vetted by our staff, people that we trust to help you in these very difficult areas of life because we know we will suffer. We know we will mourn. We will experience heartbreak and trauma as Christians. But Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I understand that verse differently now as someone who mourns. I have to go through the process of mourning in order to receive the comfort of the Lord. Putting my Holy Ghost band-aid on my sorrow is not what gets me access to the power and help of Jesus. But submitting to the process and allowing the Lord into that deep, dark area of my life is the only way that I as a believer will find comfort from the Spirit of God. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted because he cares about their broken heart. It matters to him. He knows why their heart is broken. God's concern for us goes beyond just our salvation. He wants an open relationship with us where no topic is off limits. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to grow. Second Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We use that chapter of Second Peter 3 as the premise of ministry 201 in our assimilation classes. Because in that chapter, Peter lets us know you must keep going. You must keep growing. You have to add to your faith. You have to add to your virtue. You have to add to your knowledge. This is the will of God in your life. That you just don't arrive at some threshold of the church and celebrate Acts 2.38. But keep growing in Christ. Keep growing in your knowledge and your understanding of what he wants for your life. But here's where the problem lies for us as believers. When we try to divide our problems into categories, these are my emotional problems. These are my social problems. These are my spiritual problems. Dr. Cloud says in this book, all of our problems stem from our failure to reflect the image of God. Very simple. They all stem from the same human condition. And the truth is none of us have been exempted from the horror of what 2020 has done to our state of mind. I looked up quickly. The CDC says that symptoms of anxiety disorder and depressive disorder increased considerably in the U.S. during April through June of 2020. Are you surprised? No, I'm not. I know I've said it about other things, but what an opportunity the church has 
to be ready with open arms to receive people that God would trust us with to say, you're hurting, you're broken, this is the place for you. You don't have to go outside of these walls to find the help that you need because we've all struggled and the Lord is in the process of helping all of us. We want people to come to this church for the healing and hope that they so desperately need in their lives. We still need a Savior even after we've been born again. We still need God's truth and healing in our lives. And people need to feel like they can come into the church for this kind of help. We want to be intentional to create an environment, I believe, for a day when we offer grief share all the time. I believe for a day for people in this church to step up and say, I will lead Celebrate Recovery 52 weeks of the year if necessary. Why? Because that is the kind of help and the kind of hope that we are uniquely positioned as spirit-filled believers to offer to our community. Amen. And so that's my introduction to this series. And so have no fear. I will try not to take any more time away from you than is necessary. But I do want to recommend to you highly this book and any book written by Dr. Henry Cloud. You can follow him on Facebook and Instagram. He has a podcast. He has a radio show that is very entertaining, if not informative. People calling him. He's the boundaries guy. Anybody ever heard of the boundaries books? Boundaries in marriage, boundaries in dating, boundaries with kids. Boundaries everywhere. Thank you, Dr. Clout. <laughs> Amen. And so tonight, I just want to quickly present to you the first section of the book where Dr. Cloud gives us three ingredients for growth so that we can become more like Christ. The first ingredient is grace. Grace can be defined as the unmerited favor of God toward people. The whole premise of grace, just so you're reminded, is that it is unmerited. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. There's nothing you can do to pay it back or to earn it. It is God's love given freely in your life. Amen. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 10. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Everybody say grace. 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 Romans chapter 5 verse 8 is one of my favorite verses. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's grace was given to you before you ever knew him. Before you chose him, before you repented of your sins, Jesus died and loved you. Grace is the foundation of our relationship with Christ. Without grace, there is no relationship with Jesus. That is the starting point when we come to the Lord. This is what Adam and Eve enjoyed so freely in the garden, was God's love uninhibited. There was no guilt. There was no shame in Eden. There was no brokenness in the way that they interacted with God. And yet sin changed their relationship with God completely. Because they had experienced evil, they felt shame for the very first time. It's so important that you and I understand that was not part of God's plan. 
The separation that sin brings into our lives was never what God wanted for us. That innocence had been taken away and their immediate response was to hide from God. They had never felt that before. They had never hidden from God before. They had always walked with God, free from fear, free from guilt and worry. Their lives were so carefree that nudity was the normal. Can you imagine a world? I cannot. No. Give me clothes. Amen. Number two, truth. Truth is the second ingredient for growing in the image of God. Truth is what is real. And because of Adam and Eve's new awareness of evil, truth was necessary in their lives to restore their relationship to God. It was not just enough anymore for them to have God's love in their life. They could not exist on grace alone because now sin had entered into the picture. Truth was now needed to protect that love relationship with God that they had once enjoyed so easily. And this is why God steps in to the situation in the garden the way that he did. He is truth. John chapter 14, verse 17, Jesus taught his disciples the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus prayed for us and said, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. And in this relative culture that we live in, this is the disconnect that we will always feel. Because we believe that truth can be defined. And it is not defined by you and I as individuals and our life experiences and our personalities and our preferences. Truth is defined for us according to the word of God. The truth is there is no freedom without truth. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. There is no freedom without truth. And this is one of the many reasons why God makes us a part of a church family so that we can hear truth. It's not up to us to figure it out for ourselves, but we need the word of God taught to us. We need the word of God preached to us. And so these two ingredients of grace and truth for growing in the image of God are not in conflict with each other as we sometimes believe. Because God is love. God is grace. And God is also truth. John told us in his gospel that when Jesus came in the flesh, he was full of grace and truth. He had both. They were not working against each other. The devil would love for you to believe that. And to say, oh, we'll just give grace, grace, grace. Well, that's not enough if there's no truth. And you can kill a new Christian with truth if there's, if there's no grace in the equation. And that's why Jesus came and he had both. Because he knew we needed both. Grace and truth work together. This is God's plan. Uh, Dr. Cloud gives a great little formula in the book. I want to give it to you as I hasten. Truth without grace is judgment. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. He talks about, man, I was so devoted to the law. I loved the law. I understood it. I taught it. But at the end of the day, the law killed me. 
Because the law couldn't help me do better. It just kept telling me, you're doing bad. It was more than just keep trying, Paul. Paul understood I needed God's grace too to help me keep getting up after the truth knocked me down. Paul knew the law. He understood it better than most people, and yet Paul was a great teacher on grace because here's the other part of the equation. Grace without truth is license, meaning it gives us permission to do whatever we want. Because it's all God's grace. God's going to forgive me. It doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. And that's why Paul writes so powerfully in Romans 6, what then are we to sin? Because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Stop it. Paul is saying you must be crazy. If you think that truth and grace aren't both part of the, of the situation, both can destroy us spiritually. One without the other will not accomplish God's purpose in your life. Truth without grace will keep us from relationship with God, and grace without truth will keep us from a right relationship with God. And number three is time. This ingredient for spiritual growth, Jesus taught on through a parable that I'm going to share with you quickly before our app time. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year... Well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Time is a big part of God's process in our lives. And we don't like that. We want a quick fix. We believe in instantaneous healing and miracles, and by God, that is what we expect all the time in every area of our lives. The problem in this parable was there was no fruit on this tree after three years of being cared for in this vineyard. And so Jesus tells the story to say that the man who owned the vineyard came up to the tree and said, it's worthless. It's not bearing any fruit. Cut it down. But thank God for this vine dresser, this gardener, the one that was taking care of the tree, interceded on behalf of that tree and said, give me one more year of taking care of this tree, of pruning it, of cutting things back that shouldn't be there, of digging around it to make sure that the soil is safe and rich and getting the water and getting the nutrients that it needs. Give me another year. Give me time, is what Jesus was saying. Grace ignores the fruitlessness. Truth demands the tree be cut down. Both perspectives are valid in their own ways. Both opinions are right, and yet grace will say, it's still a nice tree. Truth will say, the truth's, not, or the truth's not doing what it's supposed to do, so cut it down. But Jesus, if you haven't figured out, is that gardener that says, just give me some time. Give me time to work in your life. Give me time to work in that person's life that you are so frustrated by and done talking to. 
All of us, whether we are believers or we are not, need grace, we need truth, and we need time. As long as we are living on this earth, we will always be in God's process. Sometimes we're like the owner of that vineyard. We give up on ourselves. It's been three years. It's been ten years, God. I have no fruit. I have nothing to show for the prayers I've prayed, the things that I've done, the things that I don't do anymore. God, where is my fruit? We give up on each other. And so we eliminate truth in order to encourage people. We eliminate grace sometimes to shame people into the change we think they need to make. We want things to happen a lot faster than they are, so we get discouraged or we discourage other people through our process. But Jesus is that vine dresser. Peter said he is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish. Peter certainly understood that in his own life, didn't he? My goodness, Peter needed grace, didn't he? He denied the Lord. He argued with Jesus about how it was going to go down on the cross. And Jesus wasn't just patient with him. He rebuked him, didn't he? He gave him grace. He gave him truth. He gave him time. Jesus gave him an opportunity to right his wrong when he said, Simon Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus gave Peter grace. He gave him truth. And he gave him time. These three are not just given to us for ourselves, but sometimes the more difficult part of this truth is giving it to other people. Knowing when to give grace, knowing when to give truth, and knowing when to sit back and just give them time. Give the Lord time to work in their lives. And so quickly, it is app time. And I'm going to ask you a hard question. Of the three things, grace, truth, and time, which one could you grow in personally? I knew it would be cricket, so I'm totally comfortable. (laughs) Or which one could you do better at extending to other people? Okay, so you have an A and B option. If you're feeling very brave and honest before the Lord, go for both of them. All right? Which one can you grow in, grace, truth, or time? All right. That sounded good. 
safe place. We're feeling safe here tonight. That's wonderful. Well, I have not hidden you, from you the fact that I love to piddle around in my yard and in my flower bed. And that sometimes, Mickey, I weep and cry because the Lord talks to me. When I'm pruning stuff, when I'm cutting back stuff that's dead so that new things can grow. And sometimes I get out my miracle grow. Sometimes my plants need a lot of grace. They need a lot of help. Sometimes my roses need this insect spray. I hate those bugs that eat holes in my leaves. I spray this and I say, tell all your friends about me. Don't come back. And then there are times when my plants need water. I have ferns that are kind of covered up by how my house overhangs my porch. And so even when it rains, I got to make sure that my ferns that I love so much are getting water and what they need. But you know, I've overcorrected in these ways before. I've given my garden too much truth, too much pruning. And sometimes I've given it too much water. I've drowned my ferns before. I wasn't paying attention. They didn't need water. But my God, I just kept pouring that grace on them. And they didn't do well. And now as I have gotten some experience and sat at the feet of Verla May to understand the ways of the garden, I understand that sometimes all this stuff needs is some time. Time to recover from a harsh season. Time to recover from an invasion of insects. Time to recover from some neglect and abuse on my part. I haven't been doing the things that I knew I should be doing to keep those plants healthy, to keep myself healthy. I want you to stand with me. And I know there's a lot to think about, and it's easy to dismiss a subject like this as pertinent to someone else. I hope they're listening. I hope he's listening right now. But the Bible is very consistent in its message to us that we are to grow, that we're to grow in grace and in knowledge, that we need truth and we need time. That is part of how God works in our lives. He loves us so much, he would not deny you and I all that is gained through a process of time. To grow and to learn, to experience things and become things that we would not be without these traumas, without these difficulties. God knows that they're all at work in our lives, not just to benefit us, but so that hopefully you recognize the need in someone else's life that they need grace because you've received grace. They need truth because someone shared truth with you. They need time because people in your life were patient with you. And so I want us to pray. I want us to make that app question of prayer. God, give us Grace, truth, and time as it relates to us and our relationship with you and as it relates to our relationship with other people. Jesus, I love you. 
and I thank you for the power of your word that doesn't just come to make us feel better. It doesn't just come to cast judgment on us and tell us, try harder, maybe next time. But your word teaches us so clearly, God. You taught in parables. You taught in ways for people to understand. You wanted them to be helped. You didn't want them to be intimidated. You didn't want them to be discouraged with where they were. And so you spoke in terms that they related to and understood. And so, God, I pray that grace, truth, and time would be things that we strive for as we pray and grow to be more like you. We want your image to be clearly seen in us. God, I pray that you would give us the strength this week to offer grace to those who need it, to offer truth to those who need it, to offer time to those that need it. Maybe it's people that live in the same house as we do. They need the grace that you have given to us so freely. I thank you, Lord, that you are our healer, that your word has the answers that we are looking for, and that there is no part of who we are that you do not concern yourself with, that you are our refuge and strength, you are a present help in trouble, you are our provider, you are our healer. Let the Calvary Church be a place where people can find healing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.